זאת דיבר ישוע. לאחר מכן נשא את עיניו השמיימה ואמר, אבי, באה השעה, פאר נא את בנך בכבוד למען יפאר הבן אותך, למען ייתן חיי עולם לכל מי שנתת לו, כפי הסמכות שנתת לו על כל בשר. ואלה הם חיי עולם, שיכירו אותך, אלוהי האמת לבדו, ואת אשר שלחת, את ישוע המשיח. אני פארתיך עלי אדמות, השלמתי את המעשה שנתת לי לעשות. כעת אתה, אבי, פערני לידך, בכבוד שהיה לי לידך בטרם היות העולם. גיליתי את שמך לאנשים אשר נתת לי מן העולם, שלך היו. ולי נתתם ואת דברך שמרו. כעת הם יודעים שכל אשר נתת לי ממך הוא, כי דבריך אשר נתת לי נתתי להם והם קיבלו אותם, ואכן הכירו שממך יצאתי והאמינו שאתה שלחתני. אני מעתיר באדם, אינני מעתיר בעד העולם, אלא בעד אלה שנתת לי, כי שלך הם. כל אשר לי שלך הוא, ושלך שלי. ואני נתפארתי בהם. אני אינני עוד בעולם, הם בעולם, ואני בא אליך. אבי הקדוש, שמור אותם בשמך אשר נתת לי, למען יהיו אחד כמונו. כשהייתי עמהם, שמרתי אותם בשמך אשר נתת לי, שמרתי ולא אבד מהם איש זולתי בן העבדון, וזאת לקיים את הכתוב. אבל כעת אני בא אליך, ודברים אלה אני אומר בעולם, כדי שתושלם שמחתי בקרבם. אני נתתי להם את דברך, והעולם שונא אותם, כי אינם מן העולם, כשם שאני אינני מן העולם. אינני מבקש שתיקחם מן העולם, אלא שתשמרם מן הרע. אין הם מן העולם, כשם שאני אינני מן העולם. קדש אותם באמת. דברך אמת. כמו ששלחת אותי אל העולם, כן גם אני שלחתי אותם אל העולם. ולמענם אני מקדיש את עצמי, כדי שיהיו גם הם מקודשים באמת. הבשורה של ישוע המשיח, על פי יוחנן, פרק 17, פסוקים 1 עד 19. The time has come. Glorify your Son, so that the Son may glorify you. Just as you gave him authority over all mankind, so that he might give eternal life to all those whom you have given him. And eternal life is this, to know you, the one true God, and him whom you sent, Yeshua the Messiah. I glorified you on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. Now, Father, Glorify me alongside yourself. Give me the same glory I had with you before the world existed. I made your name known to the people you gave me out of the world. They were yours, you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything you have given me is from you, because the words you gave me I have given to them, and they have received them. They have really come to know that I came from you, and they have come to trust that you sent me. I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those you have given to me, because they are yours. Indeed, all I have is yours, and all you have is mine, and in them I have been glorified. 
Now I am no longer in the world. They are in the world, but I am coming to you. Holy Father, guard them by the power of your name, which you have given to me, so that they may be one, just as we are. When I was with them, I guarded them by the power of your name, which you have given to me. Yes, I kept watch over them, and not one of them was destroyed, except the one meant for destruction, so that the Tanakh might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and I say these things while I am still in the world, so that they may have my joy made complete in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I myself do not belong to the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one. They do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart for holiness by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Just as you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. On their behalf, I am setting myself apart for holiness, so that they too may be set apart for holiness by means of the truth. The Good News of Yeshua the Messiah according to the Talmud Yohanan, chapter 17, verses 1 through 19. Shalom Aleichem, Uvruchim HaShavim, Peace be upon you and welcome back to the biblically informative, scripturally enlightening, and ever so slightly politically controversial 18th episode of Finding Higher Brown. Speaking light into darkness from somewhere deep in the heart of Seattle, Washington, USA. The demons are in a panic. It's the return of the manic messianic. Your host. Gotti Hire. Podcasts would not be made possible without the assistance from the following. Epidemic Sound, Team Audacity, One for Israel Ministries, and of course, Spotify. I could have not have come this far without all of your collective hard work. So, thank you, from the bottom of my heart.
been lied to. Shalom, shalom, my dear listeners, believers and non-believers alike. You are being lied to. Perhaps this isn't the warm and fuzzy message you were expecting to hear upon listening to a certain podcast. But the Manic Messianic isn't here to talk about warm and fuzzy. Not all the time, anyway. Also, my idea of warm and fuzzy is probably very different from your idea of warm and fuzzy. Because my idea of warm and fuzzy is Messiah Yeshua's idea of warm and fuzzy, which isn't warm and fuzzy at all because it was not comfortable for him on that cross of his. Another thing that's not comfortable is the truth. And the truth is that you, dear listener of mine, are being lied to all the time. But Mr. Manic Messianic, how do you come off with this claim that I am being lied to all the time? Who is lying to me? Why would they lie to me? The entire point of my podcasts is to discuss current events through a Messianic Jewish lens and to find Messiah Yeshua in in all of it and to show you through current events that the Bible... The word of Adonai is indeed real and factual and relevant to what is happening today. You, my friend, are being lied to. You are being lied to by your government. You are being lied to by your media. Every single moment you turn on your TV, the internet, wherever you get your news from, if it's the mainstream media, you, dear listener, are being lied to. Well, Mr. Manic Messianic, that's a rather bold accusation. This isn't exactly what I was expecting to hear when I decided to listen to your podcast, Mr. Manic Messianic. Would you care to elaborate upon why you think I'm being lied to all the time and by whom? Why, most certainly, Mr. Skeptic, I'll be most happy to oblige your request and answer your question. Please allow me to introduce to you two news articles from two very reliable news outlets that are not mainstream media, but reliable nevertheless. One article comes from the New York Post, and the other article comes from the Epic Times. The first article, coming from the Epic Times, goes like this. National Security Advisor claims lab escape origin of COVID-19 lacks definite answer. On February 26th, White House National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said there's no, quote, no definite, no definitive answer to whether the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic can be traced to a lab leak in China. During an interview on the CNN Sunday talk show, State of the Union, Sullivan addressed a Wall Street Journal report stating the Energy Department had joined the Federal Bureau of Investigation, FBI, oi, 
in its assessment that COVID-19 likely escaped a Wuhan lab in 2019 due to a research accident. Uh-huh. Accident my big toe. I'm gonna fast forward a little bit to the juicy part. The security advisor added that he would share any further information with Congress and the American people, though for the moment he noted there is not a definitive answer that has emerged from the intelligence community on this question. Right. Identifying the origin of the COVID-19 pandemic has been the subject of much conjecture since the first cases were confirmed in December of 2019. Speculation the virus escaped from a lab in Wuhan, China began circulating almost immediately. At the time, the lab leak hypothesis was promptly criticized by government and health officials in the United States. However, over the past three years, some United States officials have become convinced that a research-related mishap with the virus is not just possible, but likely, but the likely source of the pandemic's origin. Quote, based on the analysis of the publicly available information, it appears reasonable to conclude that the COVID-19 pandemic was, more likely than not, the result of a research-related incident. End quote. A, tw a 2022 Senate committee report, and there's a PDF file attached to that, on the origins of the COVID-19 states. So... You have one government official saying that it's most likely a lab leak, and then you have another government official saying, ah, we don't know what's really going on, so I call sus. Here, in the other um, article that I found from the New York Post, it says this. Fauci says, quote, we may never know, end quote, origin of COVID despite lab leak report. All of a sudden, he's changing his tune. Okay, after years of saying that it was not a lab leak, that that idea could is 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 ridiculous. Okay, let's proceed with this article. A defiant Dr. Anthony Fauci poo-pooed the U.S. Energy Department's conclusion that COVID-19 likely leaked from a Chinese lab, urging people to keep quote an an open mind end quote and saying. Quote, we may never know, end quote, the origin of the disease. <laughs> Fauci 82, the former White House chief medical advisor, noted that intelligence agencies aren't aligned on the lab leak theory and have not arrived at a definitive answer to what caused the COVID-19 pandemic. Quote, we must all keep an open mind to all possibilities, end quote, about the origins of the coronavirus, Fauci told the Boston Globe on Monday, adding... We may never know, quote-unquote, the source of the outbreak. The retired director of the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases continued, quote, I don't see any data for a lab leak. That doesn't mean it couldn't have happened, end quote. Fauci dismissed the lab leak theory early in the pandemic and consistently repeated his belief that the virus most likely occurred naturally. So... Oh yeah, and here's another little segment. At the onset of the pandemic, Fauci called the lab leak theory a, quote, shiny object that will go away, end quote, in an internal email from April 2020. Well, here we are in March of 2023, and that shiny object has not 
gone away, Dr. Fauci. Now I can go on with this article and continue to explain to you, dear listener, how Dr. Fauci is giving some kind of logical explanation as to why these two stories aren't jiving. But let's look at the facts. I mean, I'm sorry, call me crazy, but when you have one government official stating that most likely the pandemic started as a lab leak, and, and let's, let's be honest about this for one second, because I don't believe it was a leak at all. I believe it was, it was released on purpose because of President Trump and all the things that he was doing at the time that China didn't like. But when you have one government official stating that it was most likely a lab leak, and then another government official stating that it's, uh, it's not entirely sure where it came from, things aren't lining up. Moral of the story, dear listener, is that you are being lied to by everything. For almost three years, anybody that would bring up the idea that the coronavirus pandemic was leaked out of a lab in Wuhan, China, was automatically and systematically crucified and silenced. And now, here we are, we have a government, a government official coming out and stating that it was most likely leaked out of a lab in Wuhan, China. So what, what's going on here? And by the way, this is extraordinarily important to state this, all us conservative folk knew this two and a half, almost three years ago. The, the mainstream liberal owned and operated media machine is now catching on to things that we already knew, we, the based, enlightened, um, not plugged into the devil's matrix, those guys. We knew this. Two and a half to three years ago, we knew that it was a lab leak. And now, all of a sudden, the rest of the world is catching up. Dear listener, there comes a point in your life when you have to ask yourself, can I really believe what I'm being told about things in the world? How do you know that what you're getting is the actual truth? Now that you have seen how easy it is to lie, people about whatever, how do you know that what you're actually getting is the truth? Well, dear listener, I am here to tell you that there is one thing on this planet that will never lie to you, and that is the word of Adonai, the word of Adonai Elohim, the Bible. Don't get me wrong, there are parts of the Bible that are missing. There are entire books of the Bible that are missing. But the message is there, and the message of the Bible, the message of the Word of God, will never, ever lie to you. My dear listeners, I am telling you these things so that you may have some kind of hope. Um, I know that might sound contradictory since I started the podcast with, You are being lied to, and now I'm trying to give you hope. But there is hope. There is hope in this crazy world. I will quote the most famous Jew that has ever lived, and I will say his words, I will repeat his words right now out of Yohanan 1633. 
I have said these things to you so that, united with me, you may have shalom, peace. In the world, you will have tsuras, tsarot, troubles, trials, tribulations, but be brave. I have overcome the world. You see, my dear listeners, Messiah Yeshua is our only hope. He is the only hope for mankind because he is the truth. He will not lie to you, not about one thing. But the truth that he might have to tell you might not be pleasant. And you, my dear listener, and myself, I'm included in this too, we must come to a place of humility in order to recognize this. Recognize and accept that his truth, although not comfortable, is still the truth. Yohanan 14.6 I am the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other way to the Father but through me. Vayomer elav Yeshua, anochi haderech haemet vahachayim, lo yavo ish el haav bilti al yadai. My dear listeners, Yeshua is the truth, and the truth can never lie. Not once. Messiah Yeshua will never tell you that if you get the vaccine, you will never get COVID, and then all of a sudden, you get COVID. That doesn't happen. If Yeshua were to lie about one thing, one small thing, then he would no longer be worthy of my praise. If God, if Adonai Elohim were to lie about one thing, one small thing, the smallest thing, he would no longer be God and he would no longer be worthy of my praise. Because the adversary is the liar. Yohanan 10.10 The thief comes only in order to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come so that they may have life, life in its fullest measure. Here's another good one. Here, this is from Yohanan 8.44 To all the people who don't want to listen to Messiah Yeshua and don't want to hear his truth, he says this, You belong to your father, Satan, and you want to carry out your father's desires. From the start, he was a murderer, and he has never stood by the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he is speaking in character, because he is a liar, indeed the inventor of the lie. Verse 45, But as for me, because I tell the truth, you don't believe me. So, my dear listener, who do you want to listen to? Do you want to listen to liars, or do you want to listen to the one who speaks truth to you? Would you rather accept a comfortable lie, or would you accept the ugly truth? The choice is yours. The choice is yours, and I urge you to choose wisely, because you have only one crack at this life. Only one shot. This reminds me of that one analogy that I constantly go back to. I spoke about this in a previous podcast of mine. The analogy of uh, that segment from that movie, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade, where he finds the grail. Y'all remember that scene? Do you know what I'm talking about? Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. It is the third movie in the Indiana Jones movie, well, now it's four movies, it used to be a trilogy. We're trying to forget about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. We're trying to forget about that one. 
And now they're working on a fifth movie. Yes, that's right. They are working on the fifth Indiana Jones movie. It's called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. And I believe it's going to be coming out next year. No, this is not a plug for the movie. I know, I know, I'm getting distracted. I digress. But the reason that I'm bringing Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade up is because there is this very famous scene in this movie with Harrison Ford where Indiana Jones enters this chamber with an old Nazi guy and a very pretty Nazi girl. Now, the whole reason why Indiana Jones and these people are in this chamber is because they're looking for the Holy Grail. The Holy Grail, according to myth and legend, is the wine cup that Yeshua drank from at the Last Supper. Quote-unquote Last Supper, let's call it what it really is, a Passover Seder. According to myth, whoever drinks from this Holy Grail will instantly receive eternal life. Ah, but there are conditions to this receiving eternal life. I don't want to spoil the movie for you, dear listener, so I'll just leave it at that. There are certain conditions upon getting this eternal life, yes? Anyway, Indiana is standing in a rather large room full of all of these ornate, grandiose goblets and chalices and whatnot. Now, he's running out of time because somebody shot his dad, who's being played by none other than Sir Sean Connery, who, not too terribly long ago, went home to heaven. At least, I hope he did. So, Indiana's dad is dying, and he needs to get this Holy Grail because, A, it's the Holy Grail, and B, he really, really wants to save his dad's life. So, he has to find this Holy Grail in this big, huge chamber that's full of all kinds of different grails. And each one of them is stunningly gorgeous with all kinds of intricate decorations and jewels and this and this and this. And he has to pick one. Oh yeah, there's a shriveled up old knight in armor. He's like 500 years old. And he's like, you only have one choice. You have only one time to pick, one one time, and you have to pick wisely, because if you don't pick wisely, then you be dead. So anyway, how do you choose? How do you choose? The, how do you find this grail among all of these grails? And so the very pretty Nazi girl, she walks around and she finds one and it's, oh, she picks one up and then, oh, no, this, the one that she finds is nothing special. I mean, it looks exactly like all the other ones with the jewels and the shiny gold. and Nothing any, no different than any other one. She picks it up and he's like, ah, oh, this is the one. And the Nazi dude comes over and he's like, yes, surely this is the goblet of the King of Kings. And he dips it in the water. There's a water fountain it's in the water. And he drinks from it. And then, well, um... Let's just say he he dies in a very, very um, graphic, expressive way. It doesn't matter, special effects of the 80s, and then Indy, of course, you know, well, obviously that's not the Grail. So then he, he has to find the Grail, and then 
he's like he thinks about Indiana. I mean, sorry, he thinks about Jesus, Yeshua. Of course, it's called Yeshua in the movie, but thinks about Jesus and thinks about the character of Jesus, and then he sees amongst all of these ornate goblets, in between two of these super fancy goblets, there's this small, barely noticeable, uh, wooden slash ceramic looking nothing of a cup, and that's the one, right? And he puts it in the water, and he drinks it, and I don't know, he doesn't drink of it, he brings it to his dad, and he, his dad drinks it, and, and he pours it on the wound, the bullet wound, and he clear, and it cleans the bullet wound, and the bullet bullet wound is gone, and, and hooray, Indiana Jones' dad is alive, nobody dies, hooray. Now, the whole reason why I am talking about Indiana Jones in a podcast that's supposed to be about Messiah Yeshua is because that Holy Spirit showed me through that, that scene that that chamber that Indy went into is basically life. That big room full of all of those goblets represents our entire life. And just like Indiana Jones, we have to make a decision because somebody is dying. The clock is ticking and we only have one chance, one shot at picking the right grail. Now here's where the analogy gets even deeper. See, every chalice and every ornate goblet in that chamber actually represents a doctrine, a religion, some kind of school of thought, a philosophy, something that's not necessarily truth. There can be only one ultimate truth. There can't be many ultimate truths that, that doesn't exist, that can't work. There can only be one ultimate truth. Of course, there are many different, you know, smaller truths in our lives in the universe, but there's got to be one ultimate truth. And the question is, who is the one that's telling you that ultimate truth? Well, it, it certainly is not the mainstream media and our government and the entertainment industry and who, who else? Who am I leaving out? In the movie, Indiana Jones finds this said holy grail, and he dips it in the water, and he lets his father drink of it, and his father is healed, and the wound is cleaned, and it's a happy, it's a happy moment for everybody, yes? But again, just like Indy, who made the right decision based upon his idea of the true character of Messiah Yeshua, mind you, and we kind of sort of have to do that. We kind of have to sort of apply that in our lives, our our knowledge of of what what Messiah Yeshua is. He wasn't grandiose and about gold and jewels and silver. He came here as a servant, a suffering servant. This easily sounds like a new idea for yet another podcast. What is the truth, and where does it come from, and who's telling it to you? It's entirely possible that I would make a podcast about that. Here's another example of you not getting the truth. For the past two years, we have been hearing from government and the mainstream media this incessant prattle about some alleged deadly insurrection that happened at the Capitol 
on January 6th of 2020. We heard that five police officers died, one of them got their head bashed in with a fire extinguisher by a Trump supporter. People have been arrested and put in jail for this. As I record this, people are sitting in American prisons, rotting away, put away for crimes that they did not commit. And the reason that we know that they did not commit these crimes is because a one Tucker Carlson from Fox News managed to get a few good hours of videotape from the new Speaker of the House, Kevin McCarthy. Many, many people, both Democrat and Republican, did not want people to see this video, these lost hours, hours and hours of lost footage of what actually really did happen at the Capitol building on January 6th of 2020. Well, if you haven't seen the videos, I'll let you know what happened. Nothing. Nothing happened. There was no deadly insurrection. Nobody died. Well, nobody died that day, except for one unfortunate soul who was at the wrong time, at the wrong place that day. Her name is Ashley Babbitt, and she got shot in the neck, murdered by a Capitol building or Capitol police officer. She posed no threat, she was unarmed, and she was killed for no reason. Yeah, but do yourself a favor, go on the internet and Google this for yourselves and find out Look, look, this is all real, and I know, I know that oh, some of you probably rolling your eyes, oh, Fox News, uh, Fox News, blah, blah. Right now, it doesn't really matter what studio, what news outlet it's coming from. Somebody's reporting the truth, and if you watch the surveillance videos of all of, of, all of the occurrences that happened on that day, you will see that there was no deadly insurrection. As a matter of fact, that one police officer that was supposedly murdered by a Trump supporter with a fire extinguisher to the head, that never happened. And then you have Liz Cheney and company creating this bogus January 6th committee trying to find the guilt. Donald Trump is guilty of inciting an insurrection. Oh please. So here's the reason why the government didn't want you to see that video all those hours of footage because there wasn't any insurrection and Donald Trump is guilty of absolutely nothing. Nada. Nada, zip, zilch, zero. Nothing. So for two years, your government and your news outlets, NBC, CBS, CNN, ABC News, MSNBC, I must have left somebody out, all of those guys for two years have been lying their butts off about everything. Senator Schumer goes onto the onto the floor and 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 declares, demands that Tucker Carlson be taken off the air. Are you kidding me? Are we living in the Soviet Union? Is this Nazi Germany like? What's going on? Look at all of this shadiness and deception. People are sitting in prisons, rotting away in prisons, locked away for crimes that they did not commit. All of this done because a group of people don't want a certain individual running for president again. What are they so afraid of? You may ask yourself, why is this podcast a little bit more politically charged than any other podcast that I possibly have made in the past? 
And that's because that politics is very, very much connected to all of this. See, what's going on in the world right now, my dear listener, is that there is a battle. There is a battle happening in the world right now. It's transcended politics, but it's manifested in politics. This is no longer um, a battle between Democrats and Republicans, conservatives or liberals. No, this is a battle between good and evil, light and darkness. And it's manifesting itself in the political plane. This battle that is raging is a battle over your mind and soul. And this battle, this war, is being waged by the forces of light, which are Adonai Elohim, his anointed, and his Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, together with his true remnant, which is Jew and Gentile, one, Echad, united in Messiah Yeshua together with the hosts and armies of all the angels of heaven. And the forces of darkness are not what you might think they are. They are not flesh and blood. They are not people. They are powers and principalities of the air. That comes out of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For we are not struggling against human beings but against the rulers, authorities, and cosmic powers governing, governing this darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realm. We, the body of Messiah, we are not here to fight against people, to wage war against people. No, we're here to show these people the way to Yeshua. Now that we've established that you've been lied to for quite some time now, you're probably asking, where do I get the truth from? Who is going to tell me the truth? Well, I think you already know the answer to that question. You already know what I'm going to tell you. The answer to that question is, the truth comes from Messiah Yeshua and none other because he is the truth. In Yohanan 14.6, he even calls himself the truth. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. I have given them your word, and the world hated them, because they do not belong to the world, just as I myself do not belong to the world. I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but to protect them from the evil one, they do not belong to the world, just as I do not belong to the world. Set them apart for holiness by means of the truth. Your word is truth. Yohanan 17 verses 14 all the way down to verse 17, including verse 17. I will continue. Just as you have sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. On their behalf, I am setting myself apart for holiness, so that they too may be set apart for holiness by means of the truth. Yohanan 17 verses 18 and 19. And this is the ultimate truth, that God is real, that he is sovereign, and that he expressed himself and his love for his creation by the physical means of the person in Messiah Yeshua, and that anyone and everyone who believes in his sacrifice, his willing sacrifice, 
that he laid his life down willingly for our for our behalf on our behalf take upon himself the penalty that we deserved and by doing so paying our debt in full stepping out of that grave three days later this is the ultimate truth of God in Ephesians 6 Shaul of Tarsus Paul tells us to guard ourselves with the with the belt of truth it's part of the armor of God we should we should armor ourselves with this ultimate truth and this is the essence of these podcasts is that I explore this truth with every single podcast that I make I explore this truth with you dear listener and show you the the endless depths of this truth and how amazing and remarkable and absolutely absolutely not of this world this truth could not come from the mind of a human being because it, it goes against the very nature of human beings the word of god goes against the very thought patterns of the human mind the human mind it thinks of itself the human mind does not think about god the word of god forces the human mind to think about god the human mind without ruach hakodesh the holy spirit of god cannot comprehend the word of god you have to have the wisdom of adonai in order to comprehend his word and the wisdom of adonai comes only from ruach hakodesh and that can only be given to you from Abba's favor, grace, and mercy. Now, I can absolutely do an entire podcast about exploring what is the truth. That sounds like a great idea. I just might do that. But right now, I want to focus on something that I haven't focused on in a very long time, which is going to be the book from One for Israel, Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, and we are at chapter 5. This is a continuation of where we left off in my 15th podcast titled Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus, Chapter 4, The Creation Mandate. This is chapter 5, and it's called The Adam-Israel Connection. Israel's disobedience, according to the prophet Hosea, is in the likeness of Adam's disobedience. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. Hosea 6-7 Positively, Adam, male and female, Adam, is blessed for the purpose of filling the Eretz land and conquering it. Genesis 1:28. The description of Israel's phenomenal growth in the land of Egypt draws a direct link to the creation mandate. But the people of Israel were fruitful and increased greatly. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong, so that the land was filled with them. Exodus 1.7 It is clear enough that this growth can be none other than the result of God's promised blessing, bracha, of Abraham's seed. Cross-reference Exodus 1.9, Genesis 18.18, and Numbers 22.6 It is in Egypt that God takes a small family and turns them into a people, He creates them to be a nation outside the land, just as he created Adam outside the garden, 
ultimately to be brought into it. In fact, the term used for bringing Adam or placing Adam in the garden is specifically used in Deuteronomy and Joshua to describe God's action of bringing Israel into the promised land. Genesis 2.15, Deuteronomy 12.10, and Joshua 22.4. And here we have our first footnote, which states the geographical location of the garden, like the promised land, is marked by the rivers surrounding it. Genesis 2.10-14, and then Genesis 15.18. It is likely not a coincidence that the term used for subduing in the creation mandate is later used to describe King David's subjugation of the nations. Genesis 128, 2 Samuel 8:11, and the terms for ruling over creation and its animals are used to describe King Solomon's rule. 1 Kings 5:1, 4:13, English versions 4:21, 24:33. Adam's mandate and subsequently Israel's is accomplished vicariously through Israel's reigning king, as can be seen in Psalm 8. 5.9, English version 8.4.8. Adam's continued habitation of the garden is contingent upon obedience to God's commandments. Obedience means life in the garden. Disobedience means death and exile. Genesis 2.16-17, Genesis 3.19, and then Genesis 23-24. Likewise, under the Sinai covenant, Israel's habitation of the promised land is contingent upon obedience to God's commandments. Obedience means life in the land. Disobedience means death and exile. Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20, and here we have our second footnote. The terminology used to describe Israel's choices and the consequences of disobedience in Deuteronomy 30, 15 to 20 is an intentional allusion to Adam's choices and the consequences of disobedience in Genesis 2 to 3, life and death good and evil, blessing and curse. Clever and cursed. Once Adam is brought into the land, however, the mandate to conquer the land and rule over its inhabitants and the commandment to choose life rather than death are thwarted by an inhabitant of the garden who is described as more clever, arum, than the other creatures of creation. Genesis 3.1. Adam and Eve quickly succumb to the tempter's enticements. The serpent's rebellion results in its being cursed, Genesis 3.14. Likewise, Israel's initially successful military campaign to conquer the land and its inhabitants is quickly undermined by very clever, yet subsequently cursed, inhabitants. And now we're going to compare the two passages from Genesis and Joshua. Now the serpent was more crafty, clever, arum, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. The Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all beasts of the field. On your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. That's Genesis 3, 1 and verse 14. Now in comparison, here's Joshua. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and to Ai, they on their part acted with cunning, be'emorah, same root word, and went and made ready provisions and took worn-out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins, worn out and torn and mended. 
Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water for the house of my God. Joshua 9, verses 3-4 to and then 23. The result of Joshua's covenant with these native inhabitants is the descent into apostasy as Israel is enticed by their gods, and subsequent exile from the promised land comes as punishment. And here is footnote number three. Footnote number three. The numerous references to the commands of Deuteronomy 7, 1-4, not to make a covenant with the Canaanites lest they tempt Israel to follow other gods in Joshua 9, strongly suggest that the author sees Joshua's covenant with the Gibeonites as the beginning of the end of Israel's successful campaign to conquer the Promised Land, and more importantly, to fulfill the creation mandate in Adam's steed. See Deuteronomy 11.16. Let us proceed. Thus Joshua, like Moses before him, can say with assurance that Israel will break the covenant by serving other gods, given the ongoing presence of the Canaanites in the land. Joshua 23 verses 15-16, Deuteronomy 31 verses 16-21. Given these clear predictions in the Torah and in Joshua, we are not surprised to read in Judges about the terrible dangers awaiting Israel because of the continued presence of the Canaanites. Now the angel of Adonai came up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt, led you to the land I swore to your fathers, and said, I will never break my covenant with you. Verse 2. You, for your part, are not to make any covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but must tear down their altars. However, you paid no attention to what I said. What is this you have done? Verse 3, This is why I also said I will not drive them out before you, but they will be on your flanks, and their gods will become a snare for you. Shoftim, Judges, chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. By the rivers of Babylon. Returning to the story of Adam and Eve, we read that their disobedience results in their being cast out of the garden eastward, where they eventually die in exile. Genesis 3 verses 23 to 24 and then Genesis 5 5. Adam's children continue their easterly exilic movement away from the special garden land until they eventually find themselves in Babylon. Genesis 11 verses 1 to 9. It is out of Babylon that God brings forth an individual seed, a descendant of Adam and Eve, of Seth, of Noah, and of Shem back to the garden land in order to conquer it to rule over it and to re-establish the blessing that was so tragically lost through Adam's fall. Genesis 11.10 and then Genesis 12.9. So Genesis from Genesis 11.10 to Genesis 12.9. In short, God chose Abram, later turned to Avraham, to restore his blessed rule over creation through the seed of the woman. Israel's story in the former prophets follows along these predictable lines. Though God chooses an individual dynasty of kings through whom Israel will ultimately fulfill Adam's calling, the dynasty of David, its fulfillment is not to be realized before Israel's foreseen covenant disobedience and subsequent exile to Babylon of all places. 2 Kings 25, see Deuteronomy 4 verses 26 to 30. Here we see that the concluding verses of the former prophets serve as the sign to which the deeds of the fathers, Maasei Avot, in Genesis 1-11, point. 
Just as Adam's disobedience brings him and his descendants to Babylon, Genesis 11 verses 1 through 9, so Israel's disobedience brings her and her descendants to Babylon, 2 Kings 25. What is more, just as the tale of the first Babylonian exile in Genesis 11 concludes on a hopeful focus on an individual seed, Avraham, through whom God will re-establish his creation purposes, likewise the telling of the second Babylonian exile concludes with a hopeful focus on an individual seed, Yehoiachin, through whom God will ultimately re-establish his creation purposes. Compare Genesis 12 verses 1 to 3 and then compare that with 2 Kings 25 verses 27 to 30. The Torah Poems So then it is entirely predictable that Israel will collectively fail to fulfill the creation mandate under the Sinai Covenant and will be punished for disobedience with exile. Again, following the pattern, it is only to be expected that Israel's ultimate fulfillment of the creation mandate will come through a king from the tribe of Judah. In his groundbreaking work on the Deuteronomic history, Deuteronomy to Second Kings, Martin Knopf points out one of the key literary devices by which the biblical author interprets Israel's story, namely, through large speeches or poems. Here is footnote number four. I'm going to continue just a little bit further. John Salhammer, likewise, highlights the significance of large speeches in the Torah's narrative, speeches that are poetic in genre and appear at major junctions of the Torah story. And here we have footnote number five. So footnote number four is all about Martin Knopf, the Deuteronomic history published by Sheffield in 1981. I think it's chapter five. By saying that these speeches are a literary device, we are by no means denying the historicity of these speeches. Rather, we are suggesting that the location of these speeches in key moments in Israel's history as told in the former prophets and the common repeated themes contained therein strongly suggest that these speeches not only bring connectivity to Israel's history, but also sense and meaning. Footnote number 5 is just a reference to John Salhammer, Pentateuch as Narrative, Grand Rapids, Zondervan, 1995, page 36. Let us continue. Poetic speeches in the Torah story. God's response to the fall, Genesis 3, verses 14 to 19. Jacob blesses his sons, Genesis 49. The Song of Moses, Exodus 15. The Oracles of Balaam, Numbers 23-24, The Song of Moses, and Moses' Final Blessing on Israel, Deuteronomy 32-36. And here is footnote number 6. Footnote number 6. Other poetic speeches not included in this list are the following. Genesis 2-23, Genesis 9, verses 25-27, Genesis 12, verses 1-3, Genesis 24, verse 60, Genesis 27, verses 28 to 29. Exodus 17, 16. Numbers 21, verses 17 and 18. And then Numbers 21, verses 27 to 30. The common language and repeated themes shared by most, if not all, the poetic speeches in the Torah suggest that these poems do in fact provide both literary and theological cohesiveness to the Torah story as a whole. Significantly, three of the four largest poetic speeches found in the Torah 
are identified as events that will take place in the last days. Genesis 49.1, Numbers 24.14, and Deuteronomy 31.29. Here we have our seventh and last footnote. Footnote 7, the fourth poem is found in Exodus 15 verses 1 to 21 and is known as the Song at the Sea. In the next three chapters of Reading Moses Seeing Jesus, we will discuss the following three poetic speeches and their significance, not only for understanding the theology of the Torah, but also in terms of the messianism of the Hebrew Bible. God's response to the fall, Genesis 3, 14 to 19. Jacob blesses his sons, Genesis 49, 1 to 28. And the oracles of Balaam, Numbers 24, 1 to 24. This concludes chapter 5 of Reading Moses, Seeing Jesus. It is also the conclusion of my 18th podcast, and I will leave you with this. Please stay tuned because my next episode, episode 19, is going to be about the triunity, also known as the trinity, but we're not a big huge fan of that word, the triunity in the Hebrew scriptures. My dear non-believing listener, I will leave you with these words. I implore you to challenge everything that you listen to, everything that you hear, everything that you see, everything that you're exposed to. I challenge you to question the authenticity of what you're receiving. Everything around you is lying to you. Your television, your media, your government, and your entertainment industry. The world that you live in is not to be trusted, but there is one thing in this world that you can trust. You can put your trust and your faith in Dvar Adonai, the spoken word of God, who is Messiah Yeshua and the one who sent him, Abba Father, who is Adonai Elohim, the God of Israel, the God of history. Stop allowing yourself to be filled up with lies and bad news from the world and allow yourself to be filled up with the good news of salvation and redemption by your Creator through Messiah Yeshua. I will leave you, my dear listeners, with this blessing. Iverchecha Adonai v'yishmerecha Ya'er Adonai panav elecha v'yechunecha Yisa Adonai panav elecha v'yasem lecha shalom v'shem Hamashiach Yeshua May Adonai bless you and keep you May Adonai shine his face upon you and be gracious unto you. May Adonai lift his face upon you and give you his peace in the name of Messiah Yeshua. Shalom unishtamea. Keep your eyes out for episode 19, guys. The triunity in the Hebrew Tanakh. It's gonna be lit. Peace be with you, and you will be hearing from me very soon.